everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. It's volume 8, issue 382. It's our pen pen penultimate? No, pen pen penultimate. Yes, Final Fantasy show. It's Final Fantasy 12. You can play along with our next podcasts if you want to. You can join in with us as we deep dive on Metal Gear Solid 5 Ground Zeroes, just the Ground Zeroes to start with. After that, it's Super and then it's the 2017 Prey. Following that, we're going to touch in with the Assassin's Creed series. We're up to number four, Black Flag. And after that, we're going to do DJ Hero, DJ Hero 2. Mix in like it's 2012, 10, 9, I can't remember. Anyway, I'll do the research before the show, don't worry. Canerince.com is the place to go for the schedule and links to everything else we do. You can support us and get the show earlier and often extended by going to patreon.com slash canarince for a dollar a month or more is encouraged if you can and want to which is currently around 80p but the, the pound is flailing less than a, a single euro not the 90 euros that Tony reported in a recent issue it's 0.9 of a euro <laughs> uh, the exchange rate isn't quite that uh, that beneficial and yes you also get quarterly uh, format specials quarterly early as in three months earlier than the free feed and you get an exclusive monthly podcast with jay and i as well we have other podcasts we have three of them sound of play on wednesdays is game music related playwright on thursdays is game idea related and the sausage factory on fridays is game interview related do check them all out if you enjoy this you'll almost certainly enjoy at least one or two or possibly all three of those do subscribe, review and rate this podcast and those wherever you get them from, including Apple. And don't forget, you can listen to this show on Spotify or wherever you get your media. You can always download and stream any old podcast from us at canarince.com, regardless of availability elsewhere. Don't forget that. We also have some video presence live on Twitch and then archived and also on YouTube subscribe to them both just seek out our channel and follow us on social media if you don't already twitter instagram and facebook now joining me leon cox in issue 382 are brian edwards hello and of course because it's a final fantasy show we have joshua garrity hello and leah haydu i prefer to be addressed as marquis now <laughs> like uh, dot warner something like that yes <laughs> of the warner system she had a long name so final fantasy 12 it is a Japanese role-playing game, aha, but with a refreshed, revised approach to combat and exploration compared to its predecessors and forerunners. It is, of course, the 12th mainline entry in the Final Fantasy series. How did we get here? Uh, it was directed by uh, Hiroyuki Ito, Hiroshi Minagawa, accredited, but uh, in the end, I think it was taken over by Yasumi Matsuno. Sorry, he was the original, yes. I'll, I'll tell you what happened. Final Fantasy XII was originally directed by Matsuno and Hiroyuki Ito, both of them having been handpicked by uh, series creator Hironobu Sakaguchi back in 2001. Although he had to bow out of the development staff ostensibly due to health issues, he is credited for story and concept and supervisor. As a tribute to his legacy, the development team of Final Fantasy XII included an optional boss in the game called Yazmat, a play on his aforementioned nickname Yazumi Matsuno. There you go. Yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, developed from 2001 to 2006. That was a long time. It once held the Guinness World Record for the longest development period in a video game production with a total of five years. 
Uh, it cost approximately 4 billion Japanese yen, around 35 million US dollars, uh, to produce with a crew of more than 100 people. And it released two years later than originally planned. And its delay pushed Final Fantasy XIII back itself to become a next-gen project for PS3 and 360. And as we heard, uh, Yasumi Mits- uh, Mitsunu left the project midway. Uh, this title was developed by many of the same people who worked on Final Fantasy Tactics from 97 and Vagrant Story 2000, as well as Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, which was 2003. While Tactics and 12 take place in the same world, a region known as Ivelisse, or yeah, well, that's how I say it. Tactics Advances Ivelisse is a separate magical dream world. That is true. Based on 12 setting, interviews with the development team have revealed that in the true of least 12 takes place an undisclosed amount of time before tactics. The game contains many references to the games developed by the same team or based on the same world. For instance, a Moogle named Mont Blanc runs a clan in Final Fantasy XII and previously appeared as a main character in Tactics Advance. Similarly, the player can acquire the Risk Breaker clan rank, a reference to the game Vagrant Story. The game came out in March 2006 in Japan, a few months later in October in America and February 2007 in the Powell Territories. Sir Patrick Stewart narrated the TV commercial for Europe and Australia, while veteran voice actor Corey Burton narrated a commercial for the American version of the game. I have a vague recollection of the Sir Patrick Stewart advert. Uh, do, Do you, Josh, or do you guys... Brian and Leah remember a Corey Burton narrated commercial. I don't remember anything about the commercial. I, I remember Final Fantasy X commercials. Don't really remember right. 12. Okay. I'm the same way. I remember it playing on a loop in the GameStop that I frequented at the time, <laughs> but I, right. I don't think that it was actually that commercial as much as just the talking heads talking about it coming out. Mm. Oh, yeah. I, I don't remember this, but I am now desperate to YouTube that and uh, listen to it myself. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right. Uh, So the International Zodiac Job System version arrived in Japan in August 2007. As is traditional, they would uh, take a lot of the sort of tweaks and changes that have been made to the international versions and then put them back in a Japanese version and add some more changes and tweaks and re-release it. And that is the version that forms at least the basis of all the relatively recent re-releases, including some very recent at the time of recording re-releases. PlayStation 4 came out in 2017, effectively an HD remaster, followed on PC in February 2018, and just earlier this year, April 2019, arrived on Switch and Xbox One. That improved version includes high-res upgrades for backgrounds and character models and all the 2D stuff, including the fonts, so it all looks very nice and swish. Uh, The movie scenes are upgraded in resolution. Introduction of current generation visual expression. Uh, Having not been back to the PS2 version, I can't compare and contrast that. Uh, It also added a 7.1 channel surround sound rather than the pro logic of the original. Uh, High quality voice support. You can switch between the English and the Japanese in the game config and both the original and newly re-recorded soundtrack, which you can switch between and eight new tracks as well of music. Uh, Shorter loading times, auto-saving, thank goodness. Oh gosh, yes. (laughs) The improved high-speed mode, thank goodness. Uh, impo- <laughs> okay. Improved playtime operability during high speed mode uh, and a transparent overlay map. Thank goodness. Uh, the ability to change the camera axes, which for a lot of people is uh, is absolutely should be mandatory. Uh, the game balance was tweaked. Some people 
will are less happy about this than others. And it added the ability for every character to have two jobs, which rather sort of opens up the ability to make these kind of crazy hybrid characters. Uh, you get a second license board, more of which later. And the game balance was just overhauled to make it generally a bit easier some people don't like. The game had 41 trophies or achievements on equivalent system. The Sky Pirate's Den, which was in the original game, as just a kind of visual, sort of uh, a cute little sprite-based visual illustration of how, how you'd done in the game, the kind of the, the PlayStation versions, PS2 versions, in-game achievements. And that was actually missing from the original remaster, but it was, that was such an unpopular decision that they brought it back, which I think is nice. If you can and want to play the game in 60 frames a second and or with mouse and keyboard, the PC is the version to do it. And also, I didn't know this, you can play it on ultra wide 21 to 9 aspect ratio monitors or you can use up to three high def monitors to be used for potential three times uh, 48 to 9 aspect ratio experience. That I don't. I don't know how I would like that. That seems excessive. Too wide. <laughs> it's a little much. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that it's a very interesting and, and neat uh, way to look at it, but um, not something that I personally need. I wonder what the percentage of use for that is. And you know, I guess it's not that much of a big deal to implement it, but I don't know. Maybe it seems, yeah, seems a little excessive, but I guess, they, I guess they're proud of it enough to to want to do that? I mean, if you can, why not, I guess. Uh, New Game Plus and New Game Minus are now accessible from the beginning of the game. Maximize license points and gill. New functionality added to grant players maximum from um, yeah, basic, basically maximum job points and, and money from the config screen, breaking the game, but at player's behest, I suppose. Reviews-wise, the game did very well on its first release with over 70 outlets reviewing the PS2 version and averaging almost 91%. It was the sixth game in history to receive the perfect 40 out of 40 in Famitsu. We have some memories from the community. Kez86 says, I remember cruising down the A5 towards Milton Keynes with friends to collect our pre-orders of the game from GameStation and hurtling back at the national speed limit to begin playing. From the moment I started, the game seemed to capture my attention. Vagrant Story was one of my favourite RPGs from the PS1 era and to return to the world of Ivelisse in 12 was truly exciting. What made this stand out so much was the beautiful graphics and the design of the world. FF12 was a dream game that utilised the power of the PS2 towards the end of its life cycle. 12 also is the last game from the series that I truly loved and really was my Final Fantasy. The Zodiac Age version has averaged around 84% across all formats, which is still pretty solid, especially when you consider the game was at least a decade old when they started re-reviewing it. And as of March 2007, the PS2 version of the game had sold, or shipped, I should say, over 5 million copies worldwide. The Zodiac Age sold over a million worldwide within three months, but of course we now have unknown digital sales across multiple formats to factor in. So I could imagine it's heading north of 7, 8 million plus. Who knows? Why don't we get digital sales figures when they're the easiest to record? <laughs> Nobody knows. Josh, you work in the industry. Can you sort that out, please? I'll, I'll try. I'll try. <laughs> Ashman86 from the forum says, I have purchased Final Fantasy XII four times. I literally just sat down to write this after having unwrapped a new copy of the Switch port of the game and booting it up for the first time. I expect this one to be polarising for my fellow Kane and Rince listeners. And looking at the posts here, it would appear my expectations are founded. Final Fantasy XII may just be my favourite game in the series. Yeah, punters-wise, before we hear, obviously we'll hear more from us and 
our community. But Moby Games, it has a 3.9 out of 5 from 90 people. Uh, IMDb, 8.2 out of 10. But across on Nintendo Life and Push Square, it's, uh, it's a very healthy 8.8 out of 10, but albeit from a relatively low number, 33, of punters. Our histories with the game, we already know. Leo's been on every single Final Fantasy show, already a fan of the series, but in many cases you played these latterly rather than contemporaneously. What about this one? This one I did play uh, when it came out. I... Uh... I, I was actually just looking at a copy of Dragon Quest Eight for the PS2 last night and Lovely. remembering that I bought that game, not because I had any real interest in Dragon Quest at the time, but because the copy, I, I don't know if this is the same in uh, in the UK, but um, the uh, US copies of Final Fantasy Twelve at launch, or I'm sorry, of uh, of Dragon Quest Eight at launch mm-hmm. included a demo for Final Fantasy Twelve, so uh, that's really the only example I can think of where I purchased a game pretty much explicitly for the demo that came with it. Um, and I I didn't care for Dragon Quest that much at the time. I tried, uh, but uh, I, I haven't been back to it really since. Uh, so I started playing Final Fantasy Twelve pretty much right after it came out on the PS2, and I got. I don't know, maybe 20 or so hours into it, a pretty, pretty decent chunk of time into the game and kind of bounced off of it. Like I thought it was too hard. I, I wasn't really just it wasn't clicking with me. Uh, mm-hmm. So I stopped and I came back to it sometime later. Uh, I'm not sure quite how long, but probably a year or so. It was it was not a not a short amount of time later. And uh, when I did, I ended up putting 120 hours into it so uh right that yeah the second time it, it did click uh and it, and it clicked pretty well uh so yeah i i really enjoyed final fantasy 12 when i played it on the ps2 but then i i haven't really been back to it since then until i picked it back up to start playing again uh on the ps4 for this recording so you you balked at the speed up options there so have you been well disregarding I- that I'm glad I have been. Yeah, it's it's I'm glad that it's there, uh, but it's not for me. I don't think Uh, I it just feels weird to me. I'm not I'm not quite sure. I can understand. Yeah. I mean, it's as I say, it's goofy. Yeah. And and I guess maybe that's part of it. I just I kind of like to I, I like the aspect of really having control over my characters and i know that you still do but it's i I think it's more difficult if you uh are are using that and and i i know that uh, at least a couple of you have been using that so uh maybe i'm i'm wrong in that uh in the control aspect of it brian were you there at the american launch uh yeah i was um i actually this is during a time where i thought it was cool to collect the steelbook edition of video games oh, yeah uh, uh, so i got the steelbook edition of final fantasy 12 on launch I the steelbook I, too it's very cool nice yeah it's <laughs> way i got that one over here it's one of the few uh playstation 2 games that i they held on to from my before i really became a collector i you know sold a bunch back and everything anyway so i did get it at launch and i pretty much powered right through it um right at the beginning i, I want to say I, I had 150 or 160 hours into my first playthrough of final fantasy 12 i loved it and then so when the zodiac age was announced uh coming out in 2017 i was very excited and i purchased that on ps4 i played through that a couple summers ago It was the summer that my son was born so there were a lot of midnight feedings that i he would he would sleep on my chest and i'd stay up for another two or three hours just leveling up or or do something like that and um so i i played it through to completion in 2017 when that came out and then i just recently for this podcast completed it for a third time and Mm. uh 
I played it on the Nintendo Switch, so I, uh, which was huh? really nice because, and I, I talked to, to you about this a little bit earlier, Leon. For a parent of a toddler, the Nintendo Switch is the perfect system to bring everything yeah. with you as you're following him around when he's being an absolute maniac. So, <laughs> unlike Leah, I have very much embraced the uh, 4X version. So, yep. I think my first playthrough, I thought it was about 150, 160 hours. I, I tried to pretty much you know get every every weapon complete every hunt this playthrough that i just finished i had all my characters in my main party uh plus on on the higher side of level 70 in just under 40 hours so um so yeah i uh, i i really really does make a difference i really (laughs) embraced it this time around and and, um and but it does like leah said it really does change things and i know we're going to get into this down the line but it really made my gambit my gambit setting more important but we'll talk Mm -hmm. about that when we get there Josh, how about you and Final Fantasy XII? This is usually the part of the recording where I admit that I'm either a fetus or a child too (laughs) young to purchase the game. Um, But in this instance, I I was 16, so I had pocket money. I had a a job, you know, weekend job. So I I bought this game with my own money. Nice. You were the same age as the Peggy certificate on the box, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Uh, This is the first time on this show that I can say that. Yeah, I was I was there um, uh, day one for this, um, but funnily enough, my my story kind of um, mirrors uh, Leah's in that I initially bounced off of this, uh, and it was a combination of of um, stuff that Leah's already mentioned. Like that, I I just found the game extremely difficult, but also just kind of I didn't know mm. much about the game, and I was going into it with. Um, seven and ten being my kind of primary reference points, and the combat system is so different um, from those games. And at that time, you know, you're 16, you're massively entitled, and uh, thank God Twitter didn't exist back then, um, because I'd be looking back and regretting a lot of my choices. <laughs> I was just like, this isn't the game I wanted, so I just dropped it. I don't know how long it took for me to go back to it, but same again as Leah, I I went back to it and then I kind of fell in love with it and, you know, put hours and hours, not quite the amount of hours that Leah put in, but I think my final clock on PS2 was something like 80 to 90 hours. So, you know, main plot plus, plus, (laughs) plus extras. And yeah, you know, when they started doing... HD remasters on the PS3, you know, Shadow of the Colossus, Metal Gear Solid. Like, at the back of my mind, it was like, come on, you've got to do 12, you've got to do 12. Yeah. And, like, 10 came out, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, you've got to do 12. And it, then it just felt like ages before, you know, the the uh, the Zodiac Age version of it was announced for PS4. Mm. And I bought it day one, but um, it's it's one of those things where I bought it day one, played it for a little bit, put it back on my shelf and then it took this recording for me to to actually finish off my playthrough on ps4 meanwhile i'm looking at prices for the game on ps4 and you know i bought it at full price so 39.99 quid now you can get it for like 10 quid and yeah. a part of me is yeah. like i wish i had the self-control to wait until this this is my set. entire <laughs> life like, yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah anyway so i i uh, i finished the zodiac age version of the game for this recording and um i think it my clock was roughly 
you know, like latter 40s uh, in mm. terms of hours. So, yeah. Yeah, a similar story for me as well In compared to my previous Final Fantasies. This time I was actually saying, look, I've bought all these Final Fantasy games. I've hardly finished any of them. And so it would be silly to buy the new Final Fantasy at full price and then not play it. That's exactly what I did, though. I saw the box in a shop and couldn't resist and went through the same process of playing a few hours of it and thinking, oh, that's cool. I look forward to coming back to that. And then before you know it, 10 years had passed and I haven't played it. So that was part of what doing Cane and Rinse and, and this series of podcasts was all about. So uh, it was my excuse to pick up the digital Zodiac Age version. I think I paid about uh, 20 quid at the start of the year. I haven't looked if it's been on sale since, but um, I feel like I got my money's worth. My clock was about 56 hours at the end, having done some extra stuff and used quite a lot of the four times speed option when I was uh, not all the time, but just when I was doing repetitive sections, not new areas that I wanted to learn and the monsters and all that. But it's it's a, a real boon for me for the areas where it, it re- one of the criticisms that I've leveled at or one of the things I don't like about previous Final Fantasies is the fact that you end up having the same fight with exactly the same button inputs over and over again. Um, and this mitigates that both in terms of speeding them up and also giving you a certain amount of control over your characters while it's happening. So it just it just slightly changed that for me. So this was I actually finished this a couple of weeks ahead of recording for the first time, which uh, which may tell you something about how I got on with it. Let's talk about the scenario and the setting. It's obviously an important thing in Final Fantasy and each one is slightly different. So in this case, Moby Games says two powerful empires, Arcadia and Rosaria, at war. All they care for is victory over the opponent. In order to achieve it more quickly, Arcadia invades the small kingdom of Damasca. The young prince of Damasca falls in battle shortly after his marriage to the beautiful princess Ash or Asher. Uh, they say in the Japanese version, we'll say Ash if you like. The king is murdered under mysterious circumstances just before signing a peace treaty with Arcadia. The iron rule of the empire is established in the small country. The player takes control of a young thief named Van who lives in Rabanastra, the capital city of Damascus. Through a series of events, Van finds himself involved in the political struggle, hoping to avenge the death of his treacherously murdered brother. Have you seen Star Wars? <laughs> uh, my next note was this one is even more Star Wars than usual. Uh, yes. It's uh, very prequely as well. and Especially in like the first half of the yeah. the, the game. you It's it's very like there, there are just some direct character parallels. You, you know, you mm-hmm. have the young orphan who uh, is being brought up and gets kind of dragged into the the struggle between the empire and the rebels and that's literally what they call them so it's yeah plus there's a sky pirate and you have to break into a sky jail to rescue a, a deposed princess like yeah i mean just come on so now in, in thinking of this allegory like that makes Fran Chewbacca, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Think about, yeah. Okay, all right. Okay, just want to make and sure I'm getting my head. Just an equally as sexy, sexy Chewbacca. as Chewbacca. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and wearing almost as little clothing as he does. Just about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, uh, they, they, they nailed that. <laughs> but I suppose the thing is that uh, I know Josh and I have already talked about this, and Brian and I as well, actually, that that setup and the opening scenes and everything, it, maybe this is also like Star Wars and particularly the prequel trilogy in the sense that it, seems like it's going to be this yeah, almost 
Game of Thrones, if if we may use that reference for a change, um, type political intrigue and violence and betrayal and complex sort of uh, machinations. But actually, it it kind of for me it ended up very much falling short of where it wanted to be in that regard. Yeah. But also, it doesn't really pick up the slack in terms of the the gang going on a fantasy adventure either, because a lot of them nothing really like they're they're all character types and yeah. they're fun and like we'll, we'll talk about the localization as well like the this game compared to its predecessors has some you know really much higher quality writing i think better you know just better english better um you know in more interesting language and things like that but the actual the events that happen to the characters, there's, according to one of the IMDb trivias, it says this is the first Final Fantasy game where that love is not a main theme. None of the characters fall in love with another member of the group. And part of me thinks, oh, great. OK, they're breaking away from that. But then when it comes down to it, little th- lack of that and the lack of we haven't issued a spoiler warning. Here's your spoiler warning. <laughs> the lack of a main character dying in this one, kind of all those fundamental story beats, taking them away, it can feel a bit um, anodyne at points. You were saying about how um, how the the story kind of falls flat on the the political intrigue thing. It's a shame because it really it has some good beats. Like it, there are yeah. moments where I find myself really interested in. Oh well, you know, there's brothers who are scheming against each other, and you know, there's there's. Uh, political alliances that are being formed and broken and there's Mm. but but then you just have these long stretches in between those of not a whole lot happening yeah (laughs) and indeed there are characters in your main party and i'm thinking of von and pinello here who like why are they even there right they (laughs) they they just they don't have almost anything to do with the story after the beginning it's like they just needed two more people to be in your party so here they are they're just kind of hanging on there i mean it doesn't turn out that either one of them is you know somehow a secret prince or has the force or anything like that like they just i I guess all of them have the force because nobody seems to question why they can do these you know limit (laughs) concurrences or anything like that it's but it's not even that I don't particularly like those characters because I I don't. But it even if they if they had some kind of some kind of impact on the story beyond just being like the wide eyed innocents who just yeah. kind of tag along behind the heroes. Yeah, it, yeah. I I didn't care for those two. <laughs> the thing that I I find frustrating about Final Fantasy twelve is it it for me it's kind of like the it's it's got. The opposite problem that um, Final Fantasy X has, where I think like the finer details in Twelve are really strong. Like Leon already mm. mentioned the the dialogue. Um, I also think like a lot of the characterization is really good, and and the moment to moment stuff is really working. What well, the, the problem with this is the broad stroke stuff. It's the the bigger structural stuff. Like there are there are character arcs that aren't resolved. Like you, Leah, you were talking about Van and. Pinello. And I think part of the problem is like Vaughn is introduced with a really strong motivation. Like he and I know it's a very typical kind of, you know, cookie cutter motivation, but it's a good one. Like his brother was killed. Um he mistakenly thinks that Barsh is responsible. And then when once it's revealed that uh, Bash isn't responsible that those two resolve their differences, etc. But his character arc isn't finished. Like the natural progression of that is, well, I know you didn't do it, 
but your brother is responsible. And now my mm. anger is focused yeah. towards him. And that's the way yeah, he just to keep drops Van. It. <laughs> yeah, he just drops it. At the moment Bosch and Van kind of resolve their differences, that's they the end of Van's character fine, yeah. arc. Yeah. And, and that anger should be redirected towards Gabranth, and it never is. And and there's that opportunity for that great, like, you know, conflict between Bosch and, and Van, because Bosch wants to save his brother, but Van wants to, you know, get revenge. And you could have had that dynamic, but it's just, it's not there. Yeah. Leon, you were mentioning the kind of Game of Thrones politics. And like the stuff, the story stuff that works for me the most in 12 is when it's like the two empires, rubbing, you know, the friction between the two empires and then the internal politics. That stuff is actually really strong. The moment, like, but it, it, it decides at like the halfway mark that that's not the focus of the story anymore, mm. that these weird gods. That yeah. just kind of <laughs> that feel like they kind of appear out of nowhere, and Classic, I and, Final <laughs> well that yeah, and and I feel like that's the problem is that they're trying to, and this kind of speaks to some of the kind of behind the scenes strife that went on with this, where um, I know you know the re- the reason why Matsuno um, ended up leaving was because he was asked to make all these changes. Like Van is a product of them, think, you know, Bash was or a version of Bash, not the character mm. we see in. This this game was originally intended to be um, the protagonist, and and the view of Square Enix at the, at the time was that the, the the series needed a younger protagonist to appeal to the audience. Um, mm. So that's why Van's in there, and and I can't help but feel like the gods like the the weird you know last minute gods that final fantasy is famous for is just a product of meddling like you've got this great like clash of empires plot and then suddenly here's a final fantasy trope just shoved in there and and it it re- and it's and it's heartbreaking because I feel like this game is so close to being really good on that front. It's it's not like ten where it feels like um, they've got a, a good like overall structure, but it's just kind of sabotaged by the, all the details and and the character that you just find irritating. It's more that like they've got some great seeds here. They've got some seeds that could really blossom into something fascinating, and they just don't quite get there. So you end up, I know this seems a bit backwards, but it makes sense while we're talking about the story in terms of we've already talked about the uh, the, the sudden <laughs> the monster closet of Final Fantasy gods and villains um, where some some new uh, fantastical entity pops into the story possibly a weakness weakness of the storytelling and and you know there's there's probably a conversation to be had about ludo narrative dissonance and how this is a video game so it has to have a big bad end boss in the case here for most of the game you have this uh, antagonist uh who is well you, i mean he's he's a, yeah he's a he's a powerful guy but he's effectively he's a, a politician or a, or a member of royalty or a bit of both i suppose in, in what's like this great hair <laughs> um very calm you know he's obviously you know he, he's not the mustache twirling villain in such an overt way as some of the predecessors have been but in the end it boils down to this visually quite spectacular but kind of absurd fight where it's you versus him and he's got as our Thomas put it, he's got roid rage. Effectively, he's yeah. uh, he's your 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 big final boss is against a kind of hybrid metallic version of very angry 
guy. And again, it just, I, I feel like a bit of a hypocrite because all the way through this series and, and games in general, uh, I know I missed out on, um, in, in, on doing six in this series, but uh, particularly when it got into the, the voice acting era and that was when I really started to feel intend that some of it was a bit, some of the presentation and the way it was delivered was a bit childish and I was yearning for something a bit more adult and certainly the localization in this really helps at least make you feel like you're not and being written down to like a complete, you know, cretin who barely understands the language. But the story after showing so much promise kind of dwindles into, yeah, something rather straightforward and yeah, just for me, less interesting. Steve Aaron on that subject from the forum says, I'm really not sure how the narrative of Final Fantasy XII can be both so grandiose and yet so utterly threadbare. The game certainly suffers for not anchoring the macro world events in a micro or personalised story. It certainly tries to. The first protagonists we are introduced to are orphans of war, demonstrating the consequences of the larger world conflict, and it may have succeeded had the game chosen a protagonist and stuck to it. But the constant shifting of the A story, the swapping of protagonists for Van to Bash to Ash, results in a narrative experience in which one never truly feels that they know who the characters are or whose story we are telling. Ultimately, I suppose the story is Ash's and her quest to reclaim the kingdom. But if so, why waste several hours of gameplay setting up Van and Penelo only to sideline them as the game progresses? Bash and Ash would have made for a much more satisfying for much more satisfying primary characters with the Dawn Shard heist being seen from their perspective, then running into the plucky young thieves and their more experienced sky pirate counterparts and all proceeding on a quest together. Alas, that's not the case, but I'll still stick with it to see how the story pans out for all in the end. If nothing else, I do like the world and my propensity for hoovering up trophies means that this will be my podcast game of choice for a while at least. That localization, as I say, it surprised me to learn that it was from Alexander O. Smith, who was the same person behind Final Fantasy X. But I think maybe some of the big differences here are the voice acting. Uh, he also worked on Vagrant Story, which uh, I remember having a very strong localization. Uh, according to Wikipedia, while still preserving the meaning behind the Japanese script, Smith made the decision to use different dialects of English to reproduce the regional differences in pronunciation found in the Japanese version. He also tried to distance the game from the flat reads found in other dubbed work by casting voice actors who had experience in theatre. In, term in terms of general changes, the localization team introduced widescreen 16-9 ratio support, which wasn't, wasn't in the Japanese version, and reinserted scenes that were left out of the original for political reasons and to preserve their Japanese all-ages Sero rating. Mm. Interesting. Now, I played this because the opportunity was finally given with Japanese voice acting and with subtitles, uh, which uh, works for me. Uh, it's that thing. We've talked about it before. I think it's harder to spot bad acting in a foreign language <laughs> yeah i enjoyed i enjoyed because of the the subtitles being the dialogue in that being uh so much more sort of elegantly written than previous games uh it was good but i i know that the the voice localization is generally well spoken of oh yeah i i think um everyone involved has done 
a, a superb job with this one. Um, I actually, uh, I, I prefer the localization and uh, voice acting work in in this game to um, thirteen, which we'll we'll talk about in a future issue. I think mm-hmm. the dialogue is just really strong, and the characters have a lot of chemistry. Like Balfour's kind of the star of the show for me. Um, he just he has all my favorite lines. Um, the dynamic between him and and Fran is great with him being the guy with all the quips and Fran just kind of being his his straight man and you know with her dry replies um her accent is really interesting it's like Icelandic I think yep. and then you get on to kind of the the more villainous characters like Gabranth and and uh, Vane Solidor and and uh, some of the side characters like Larsa and I think that some of those performances uh, are honestly like my favorites in, in the series. I think Lars is really great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just genuinely think this this is the strongest it's been for me personally um, in, in this whole series. Yeah, there's uh, mainly the, the voice cast is full of uh, experienced and uh, highly employed voice actors who might not be household names, but a lot of them interestingly have credits for various Star Wars games and animated series as well. But there are a few names you'd know in there. Uh, Nolan North is down the list. Phil Lamar, uh, Dwight Schultz, Mark Wing Davey. It's a, it's a long old cast list, but, um, but yeah, no, I, if I, if I were to play it again and I think you can, yeah, I think you can switch dialogue once you've got a game going as well. So, uh, I just elected to stick with my, uh, my choice. And what I will say about the, the, the use of language is that it's all there in the subtitles. I assumed it probably would be. I usually, and in in this game as well, I usually do have subtitles on, even if I am playing in English, just because yeah, yeah. I, you know, just in case I miss something. Well, actually, that was one thing I think we wanted to mention was about this game, and I suppose it's something that a lot of fantasy suffers from, if that's the right description, is that it has a lot of made up proper nouns. There's a lot of oh, yeah. uh, a lot of uh, you know new terminology for places and uh, names of people and stuff like that and in that case just having the subtitles on the screen takes some of the uh, some of the mental effort out of trying to actually pass those and oftentimes your your brain is still trying to work out what they said while you're missing the actual next piece day of day affected nethocyte anybody yeah day affected nethocyte <laughs> i don't mean to be too negative i i have very positive thoughts of the game overall but i just think the naming conventions in this game on the whole are very poor. <laughs> I, I I had trouble understanding a lot of the names. I had I had trouble right. hearing what they were saying when when talking amongst the judges and the judges are already kind of the character design of them, which I do love, but I they're designed to be similar looking but just have, you know, the either the helmet or the, the kind of the, the the pauldrons to make them look a little bit different. But I mean, those names, I mean, it just was a lot of consonant soup for me. And I just I really didn't get on with it. And I found them. It, they were so unique and so unnecessarily complex that I found them almost instantly forgettable. And, mm, yeah. uh, and I kind of felt that way across the game as a whole. Yeah, I, I, I definitely felt that in the second half um, because I, I think the game leans more and more on kind of proper nouns, as Leon said. Um, I think in the, in the first half of the game where it feels like the game is going to be led more by characters rather than plot devices, mm-hmm. it bothered me less because it was just context. Whereas later on, it's like 
the net you know the, when we're talking about different kinds of nephocyte and what they do and that's leading the plot that's when it gets a bit tiresome for me Nii mitch apologies Nii, if that's how you don't say if that's not how you say your name uh, back in the day final fantasy 12 was the first of the playstation titles i failed to finish Unfortunately, what should be the beating heart of any Final Fantasy, its characters, don't really hold up to scrutiny for me. It's well documented that Square's initial intention was to go up against the grain and have Bash as the main character before they were pressured into a more generic male JRPG hero. And unfortunately, Vaan, the wettest of blankets, feels both shoehorned and arbitrary. Uh, heroes, Ash Bash and Balthier. I don't know, how do they say it in English? Because in, um, in the Japanese, it's Balthier. 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 Yeah. Balthier, Balthier. Yeah. Uh, offer infinitely more to the plot, uh, giving the gameplay and plot a weird ludonarrative dissonance that jars throughout. But the main reason 12 leaves me somewhat cold is that the party lacks charisma and warmth as an ensemble. I don't know that I agree with that completely. Yeah. I, I do agree with a lot of, of what they were saying about, about Vaughn. Um, and, and that extends a lot into Pinello, um, because I think they largely serve the same purpose in the storyline. Yeah. But just you, the, the thing that I think of when I think of them as, uh, Vaughn and Pinello as, as characters in this storyline is, um, I'd say maybe midway through you get to like a beach type area um, and the other characters kind of hang back and are having these discussions. Meanwhile, Vaughn and Penel are like, yay, there's an ocean. Let's go play in the water. <laughs> and it, it just that that kind of encapsulates. Yeah, they're they're with you and they're fighting and, you know, they occasionally have something to add. It's almost like the other characters are babysitting and they are not that much older. If you actually read, like, I think, I think Ash is supposed yeah. to be like 19. Balthier is supposed to be like 22. Like these, it's uh, aside from yeah. Fran, who, you know, has her own thing going on. Everybody's pretty young, um, mm -hmm. which is fine. I mean, that's, that's not an unusual thing for a game like this. The attitude and kind of the men the headspace that they seem to find themselves in is just so different. And I, I think I, I almost would have preferred it if like, like, I, I mean, could we not have just had a consistent party of the other four? And, you know, you get mm -hmm. guest characters every once in a while. Maybe they could have been yep. guest characters for the first part of the party or for the first first part of the story. And then, you mm -hmm. know, swap them out when it becomes I just the, the, the fact that anybody would think that Vaughn is a better protagonist than Bosch is like. It really it really makes me wish that we got to see the original vision of this game, um, not just for the characters, but the plot overall. But like when Bosch. Ash and Balfir and Fran are talking to each other. There is that charisma. There is that um, that spark. And I I love I love those four characters. Like I think Bosch Bosch's uh, stoic nature um, is a good counter to Balfir's kind of dry humor and and cynicism and fran is a good counter for balfir and ash is kind of the real protagonist of the story and she has a lot of like pathos with her story and all of that stuff i think when it's folk when the story focuses on those four yeah i've got I, they're they're amongst my favorite characters in the in the series is just constantly getting distracted by the two teenagers uh following <laughs> following them around i would i would even go as far as to say that the Penelo's involvement becomes interesting when they're exploring her relationship with larsa like larsa kind of mm. playing the role of the you know the younger the younger brother trying to protect her while she's also the prisoner and kind of playing both sides i mean 
she's only exists as a plot device for for Larsa kind of. But but in that relationship, I could see Pinello having a larger part of the story and 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 being more more interesting to me. But I mean, but when when set up against Balthier and Fran and then and then Bosch and, and Ash to a certain extent, I just uh, they, they they don't really have anything to add, and that just becomes so much more apparent as the game moves on. Yeah, I, I agree with the with the uh, Pinello and Larsa thing, but. There again, they don't really follow through with it. I mean, right. more so than with some of the other things. Like it comes back in kind of her, where are they now at the end? Yeah, but, yeah um, the one year later. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> uh, but but I mean, they they don't. You know, there. They, I feel like there could have been a lot more going on there because you see that there is this kind of relationship developing between Pinello and uh, and Larsa. Whether it be um, them having some kind of romantic thing or whether it be uh, like a sibling thing. But yeah, then it just kind of disappears. So uh, I don't know. I just wondered if obviously somebody at Square Enix, possibly in marketing, and certainly there's there's, I I don't know if it's just a case of, well, it's always worked before. So we're going to we're going to need our young, fairly blank canvassy kind of relatable characters to be the leads, even if they're not the actual leads of the story. I wonder if there's a reason why it couldn't have actually been the whole thing, actually Balthier and Fran as the lead and showing the whole thing from their perspective, kind of being dragged into this thing and um, and then having to... Yeah, I mean, because, you know, he, Balthier, refers to himself repeatedly as the leading man, which obviously would have killed that dead if he actually had been. But <laughs> I, I just think that would have that would have appealed to me more. You know, he's he's the kind of character, you know, the, the, the men want to be him and the women want to be with him to be reductive about it. I, I feel that would have been appealing. And in perhaps in in a modern, obviously it doesn't make sense here because you've got a party of six and you can, uh, a party of which you can have three on the go at a time. But there's sort of, you could have had, you know, the boy-girl choice of, of main character as uh as one way of going in something like that. Technically, I mean, with with respect to the combat, you can pretty much pick who you want your main character to be. Yes, like, that's true. I have I use uh, Ash as my party leader and do not swap her out. The rest of my party, I rotate in and out. So she ends up being, you know, higher level than the rest of them and can kind of carry things along. But, you know, ha- has various combinations of support going through the whole thing. And I, I like that. And that's something that I threw me off a little bit the first time I tried to play it, the time that I bounced off, because I was used to, you know, having at least one of my characters dictated to me. And here you have to set up your gambits and we'll, you know, we'll go into that more. But um, the, the gameplay itself is just so different. You can choose to you can choose to not set up any gambits at all and, and yeah. micromanage your entire party. I think that would take mm. forever, but you could do it if you really wanted to. I, yep. I picked kind of a middle route where I uh, direct controlled my main character and then had gambits set up for everybody else. But yeah. it, uh, it, it it does allow you a certain amount of freedom that way obviously that doesn't change any of the actual storyline or the cutscenes or anything like that but for the actual uh, gameplay itself you you do have that freedom dom's beard from the forum says the gambit and job system were a revelation at the time and it had one of my favorite gaming memories of all time the second boss fight with dr sid this battle took me around 30 minutes due to being in a constant cycle of desperately trying to stay alive and chip away at him and the help he had I was down to just Van and about five hit points at one point and turned it around and finished the fight. It was a proper pad down, clenched fists moment. Moments like that will depend very much on <laughs> where you are level wise going into yeah. a fight. 
MH Ninja Bear from the forum says my first encounter with the game was in 2007. At the time, my twin and I were 12 ourselves and we were on vacation with our family at Virginia Beach. The time spent on the East Coast was very relaxing and seeing the ocean for the first time was a sight to behold. But when our mother took us to nearby to a nearby GameStop to pick up a game for the summer, my brother and I became ecstatic. We had recently discovered JRPGs and knew enough to know that they are large games and can have crazy stories. When my brother pointed out Final Fantasy XII, my first thought was whether or not I needed to play the first 11 games to understand what was going on. With that question unanswered, we decided to buy it anyway and see what this game from a faraway country could have in store for us. I can't remember what my first impressions of the game were, but it would be a couple of years when I would decide to revisit it. At that time, I was still too young to drive, but not too young to take my bike and ride a couple of miles away from my home. With this freedom, I would grab the PlayStation and a backpack and go visit my grandma, playing the game as I sat and visited with her. I would spend hours scouring the geezer planes and hunting marks. When I learned there were summons in the game, I made it my goal to collect them all, only to be sidetracked by the fun monotony of level and license point farming. I continued to explore the story with my grandma watching. She seemed concerned that the poor boy ran everywhere without taking a break. I was quick to explain that he was okay with running. While playing the other Final Fantasy games, I'm able to think about the battle systems, the music, and the many small details that make them the games that they are. But for the 12th entry in the series, I'm unable to separate the game from the memories I made both with my twin and with my grandma. Visuals then. Art, design, and graphics, and general world building. Uh, let's actually open up with Will's post, as it's nice and flowery. Will from the forum says, Final Fantasy XII is the game that brought me back to video games. Ivelisse, my goodness. Especially in light of the relatively lacklustre characters and a plot that just sort of wanders off midway, I would argue that Ivelisse itself is the real star of the game, and XII does its best storytelling through place, rather than character or dialogue. In the same way that Seven could tell a whole story with a looming loveless broadside or the aquarium chic of the City of the Ancients, the windmills in Sarobi Steppe and the Baroque ornamentation on the rugs in the bazaars of Lowtown suggest a deep history infused with the generations of races and cultures that matter-of-factly share the world. Ivelisse feels so interconnected in a way that many open-world games do not for me. Some of my most thrilling gameplay moments were finding surprising connections like the Henne Mines outlet in the Feywood or sneaking in the back entrance to Nabudis so I could barter with a Baknami merchant. That same craftsmanship and attention to detail suffuses the bustling polyglot Rabanastra, the iambics of the Ocuria's speech patterns, tetrameter for the most, pentameter for the heretic Venat, and the clockwork gameplay, which is built to carry you through this rich world quickly and smoothly. Yeah, something that I tend to think about uh, in regards to the visuals of 12 is that it feels very busy. And I don't mean that mm. as a negative. Uh, I know mm -hmm. that it's easily taken that way, but it's it's just it's very detailed. And it was it was extremely late in the Final Fantasy or I'm sorry, in the uh, PlayStation 2's life cycle. Yes. And they are really, really pushing it. That's something that made it stand out for me. Uh, it, it, I wouldn't necessarily say that it feels more realistic, but it feels more deep. Um, whereas yeah. it, it, things in, in the last game that we covered, Final Fantasy X, looked very good, but were often more, just more impressionistic in places, I yeah. think. Like they, they were exaggerated in a lot of places. And not to say that this isn't, I mean, there are a lot of bunny ladies wearing lingerie, but I, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, it looks very good. It just, yeah. that's, I think yeah. that's where I'm going with this. <laughs> I think that one of the things that 
struck me the most and I remember that moment from when I first put in my PS2 is when you first get to Rabinaster it it feels like a real city like you go into shops and there are there's not the one guy behind the desk there's there's 12 customers in there and they all have something different to say and and it rather than it just being a straight line with the shops on either side it kind of w- twists and turns and has a you know like and you go down into low town and it kind of has this you know this kind of slums this area that still has people that you can interact with and it just the 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 world design of the places that are supposed to feel lived in really feel lived in i'm sure i've said this a bunch of times throughout playing games but i remember i remember thinking playing it originally that like this feels like a real city this really feels like there are people here doing really important things and and you know living their lives and and that was something for me up until the time uh, I had never really experienced before. And that, that feeling didn't go away playing uh, either on the PS4 or on the Nintendo switch. Like you walk into areas and there are just, there's just a lot going on. There's people, you know, moving crates back and forth between the shops. I mean, it, it seems simple now, but at the, for the time, I remember just being kind of blown away with, with how full of life that initial city felt. And, you can expand that to really a, a lot of the details for for the environments you come to afterwards too. whether it's being out on the plains. And um, I mean, the first time you go into the the the, the esters, the Easter sand, Esther sand, and you're going around killing wolves. And all of a sudden in the middle of the Esther sand, there's a T-Rex that will just destroy you at the level that you're at. Like in my Final Fantasy brain, I was like, wait a minute, this is the first area. How, why am I not just slaughtering this guy? You know, and and it just. It, there's these those little details kind of expand out to the the entire way that the world was built and i i, I don't think that and and without trying trying not to speak in hyperbole there it, it seems in comparison to other final fantasy titles that that none of the ones i can think of at least right now and or at least not in my notes really got there as as detailed and as well and as quickly as final fantasy 12 does you start playing this game and you feel like you are in the game and it's it's pretty neat our our last correspondent here, Will, um, mentioned about it feeling uh, even more open sometimes than some open world games, which is interesting because I they put kind of artificial roadblocks in in a couple of places as you do, you know, like the, the guards won't let you out of the city or whatever. But for the most part, there are a lot of places that you could go and just go there. Like you don't have to. It's the only thing really keeping you back in some cases is that you're just too low level and you're going to get shredded. Like it, it, it's not one area leads to a different area leads to a different area, which I think Leon actually tripped you up once, didn't it? <laughs> because you, it is it's perfectly yeah. possible and even I went the wrong easy way. Yeah, to go the wrong way. If you're not, if if just in any situation, now you don't yeah. even have to not be paying attention. It's just there's there are a lot of ways you can go, and not all yeah. of them are signposted particularly well. So you and can there explore. There is precedent in JRPGs for that. When Definitely, they let, but they not let you all out on the them. world map. Yeah, no, no. It's no. Like yeah. When when they do let you out on the world map, uh, yeah, I, I think that that's um, that's certainly a thing that uh, becomes more common. But this. There's more than one connection to places and, and that I, I like that. I, I like that, you know, you you can open up shortcuts in between the Wester the East Ester Sand and the Wester Sand, like it but you have to kill something first. Like you have to go do a hunt and then clear out this this one shortcut, or you know, you can get to certain places from other places, but there's something you have to do first. I, I, I think that's an interesting way and uh, for me a very effective way to approach it. 
One of the things I wanted to touch on with the the art director's Leah, before you were talking about Final Fantasy X and, and like how some of it like wasn't working. And I think the thing that we were grasping at in, in that recording was it just it doesn't feel aesthetically cohesive. Like there are uh, the characters that look hyper, you know, the main cast that look hyper detailed and look really good. And then there are just characters out in the world that look like you know drawn on faces that kind of thing and the environments don't you know all consistently look great and all of that stuff i think the thing that you know final fantasy 12 really achieves is this like really consistent world that all feels of a piece and every character obviously the main cast are more detailed than you know you know the the people around the world but it's not as striking as it was Um, and part of that is the way um they've kind of approached the 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 design of the character models like i really love like they've got like a kind of sketchy like not all the way not quite you know on the level of valkyria chronicles where they really commit to that but the, the, there is a feeling of a slightly more stylized approach to the you know the way the faces are drawn and the way the environments are drawn and it gives it this more like uh you know more like a painterly look to it um mm. and and i think the art direction works both on like a macro scale and a micro scale and like a good example of that for me is um uh, character design um and, and you can apply this to all the all the characters but just for the sake of an example What's great about it is that if you look at him in like the broad strokes, like you've got some like clear colors, like the his chest plate is like a, a chest plate is like a golden brown. He has the white sleeves. He's got the dark trousers. And there's like really distinct colors, like big, you know, big broad strokes in terms of the cut, the use of color that directs your eye and all of that stuff. But then you take a closer look and you see all this like fantastic pattern work on his breastplate and on his trousers on his clothes and i I love that like it it never crosses the line of being over designed like i mean there's maybe a couple of judges where you could make that uh, criticism but like the main cast like there's a lot of detail but it still works as like you know like a broad stroke color palette type you know type examination um and like then you've got like Gabranth who I mentioned earlier I, like I think he, you know the voice acting is really strong in terms of creating like this in- intimidating presence but I love the armor design for Gabranth I think it's just really strong and striking obviously taking some influences from Darth Vader um yeah. but it, it's unique enough that he has his own personality um and just the imperial kind of the 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 main infantry of the imperial army again stormtroopers but like i really love that kind Mm. of dark gray with tinges of white in in all of their uniforms it's really strong i i just think it's it's so like the, the the game is just so visually strong on on every level yeah, in keeping with the slightly, I know, I know it sounds crazy when you actually think of some of the fantastical elements in the game, but the overall slightly less histrionic or melodramatic tone, I would say, compared to some of its predecessors, certainly Final Fantasy X, the character designs seem to avoid the sort of Seymour's hairstyle excesses of, <laughs> of ten and things like that. Uh, overall, I would say, like that, yes, the detail, the, that busyness, as Leah says, is um, is actually one of the one of its outstanding features but it doesn't prevent it from overall having a very clean and 
easy to read look overall i think yeah for a uh, for a 13 year old game at the time of me playing it albeit with an up upscale and polish on ps4 pro uh, i found the whole thing very easy on the iron and, and especially some of the uh, the weather effects uh, the, the weather can change out in the in the open world um, there's some blizzards and sandstorms and things and they still look pretty impressive to me uh, production values throughout the whole game really off the charts i would say uh, the cg is tremendous like the 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 money that obviously went into that um is uh, and yes it's all it all looks like star wars action scenes and sounds like it in a lot of cases as well but uh, but very nicely rendered ones the only thing i would say and again this is actually i'm being slightly contradictory here in that while i overall approve of the change in character control and in battles it actually kills some of the visual drama the the thing about having the your characters all locked into place like in 10 they got to even going back to 7 once the game moved into the era of polygons they got to swing the camera around and zoom in and and you know do all kinds of cuts and effects and zooms and sweeps and things like that but because it gives the player entire control sometimes you can really miss out on the actual the sort of visual splendor of some of the bigger attacks and stuff the the exception being the um the kind of overdrive attacks, which are still uh, the camera is still taken away from you, but even you know during the the regular battles, you can sometimes end with a slightly messy looking screen, which is um, which is obviously to do with the gameplay. Even sillier at four times speed, of course. <laughs> Sound wise, uh, the music has uh, four composers, mainly Hitoshi Sakimoto, assisted by Hayato Matsuo, Masahura Iwata, and a couple of tracks from. Nobuo Uematsu, just the uh it's got the the sort of the famous I think it's just called the overture, is it? The um the opening piece. And he wrote the end song as well. Sakimoto for me is most easily readily identified with Final Fantasy Tactics and Vagrant Story, which obviously shares a lot of the development DNA here, went on to do the music for Valkyria Chronicles. Um, I'm really familiar with his Radiant Silver Gun and Gradius V music as well. He's one of the most distinctive sounding composers in that he has uh, a certain sound, a certain palette that he just uses over and over again. Occasionally he'll use synthesizers and kind of electronic uh, electronic sounds and things like that, but he's he's very readily identifiable. Um, I do I do like his stuff a lot, but having said that, I heard um, the it was one we played on Sound of Play recently. It was a request, which is the Rabanastre Underground tune, which I heard early on in the game, as you do, and thought, oh, my God, this is so good. I don't actually know if it's a Sakimoto tune, that one, by the way. It doesn't really sound like him. And I was thinking, oh, the music throughout this, this is going to be absolutely amazing. And while it was pleasant throughout, there were there weren't so many pieces for me that stood out as much as that one did. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I like I know exactly which track that is. And uh, I think that's one of uh, the ones that I would consider to be my favorites. But it is definitely good music, but maybe not as standout, uh, like you say, as, uh, as as some of the other games in the series. I think, yeah, it's it's a soundtrack that definitely has some highlights. Um, like, I really love the Arcadian Empire theme. 
it's uh, really ma- obviously it can it's it owes a lot to the imperial march music in, yeah. in star wars um but again it, it's it's unique enough and memorable enough to to kind of rise above that direct comparison um and i really like the the esper boss battle music as well um that's really strong as well but yeah largely yeah, um like it's very functional uh it's good music not bad music but it's not quite as memorable as you know previous entries in the series um which which is a shame it seems like it's more background music than it is anything else which is not necessarily a bad thing yeah yeah. in that sense and i mean in every every final fantasy before this one had to have an absolute banger of a battle theme that you kind of miss out on this one that's true yeah you know i mean you you would literally hard cut to battle and if you didn't have some you know up-tempo catchy (laughs) thing you know yeah uh but um but yeah it's i i've listened to the soundtrack when kind of compiling my thoughts for the podcast and and to just bounce off what leah said like it's incredibly pleasant well-orchestrated background music but um it, le- unlike many other final fantasies if i mean almost all of them that i can't pick out one track that like i get stuck in my head or i, I revisit or, or anything like mm. that yeah uh sound wise i think the um i think the the previous game that we talked about 10 had really some i mean the the series as a whole even going back to the 8-bit times has had this very distinctive uh set of very appealing um and moorish kind of sounds uh this game overall sounds a bit different but still has enough of those sort of nice chimes and sword slashes and magical sparkles and things to to make the the overall experience very sonically enjoyable I like the sound of Kuraga. It's like it's very it's very mm. light and pleasant and, and and slightly wet, but in a good way. And like a, and like <laughs> we're, we're all being covered in this healing lotion and mm. everything's going to be OK. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that stuck with me, but I, I literally wrote that down. because I just like yeah, the way that like spell sounds. It's a drip. Doesn't yeah, it? exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm. But like a good a good drip, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I weirdly find the the sound of the the muskets really satisfying, like Balfir uh-huh. when he's using his uh, his rifle. I, I think he has like one of the more satisfying attacks in terms of sound um, because it feels appropriately archaic. It doesn't f- sound like a modern weapon. Yes. It okay, feels a yeah. bit clunky. Um, and it's, yeah, just, yeah, it sounds really good. I also made Balthier a gunman. So what is it about the, because you pretty much have a free he choice. He starts out with one. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. It sort of leads you down, a suggest, it suggests a path, doesn't it? The starting uh, kind of characteristics for each of your characters do sort of of lend themselves to right. certain paths over others and you can do whatever you want but you absolutely um, can yes yeah. uh but uh, there there are easier ways to at least in the beginning i think after a certain point it stops mattering really but like yes. i made i made Penelo my gun person um oh, okay. and she also had healing magic so she was a red mage and also a, i think it was a machinist um so she would stand back and shoot things and then cast spells when she needed to you know and i fran just went full-on magic so she was you know white mage black mage so yeah there was a lot of uh of pain coming from her <laughs> Everybody else just had big swords. <laughs> when I was just thinking about Ash, I was thinking, what would she have done as a young princess? I was thinking archery. She would have done archery. So that makes sense. The game differs from its predecessors in several core gameplay related aspects. According to Moby Games, the game world is composed of vast areas with visibly walking enemies. Imagine that. There are no separate battle screens in the game. Combat takes place in the same environment as exploration. Player controlled characters can freely move during combat. 
unless they're under Gambit control, in which case they can run away from you. Uh, actions are still selected by choosing commands from a pop-up menu, and each character has a traditional ATB, action time battle, if I recall correctly, bar, that determines when he or she may act. However, the overall combat resembles the real-time with pause system of Western role-playing games such as Knights of the Old Republic. The player can issue specific commands to the party members or assign them to combat strategies called gambits in the game. New magic abilities and equipment are bought from stores or found in containers in the world. Before a character can use any of these, the player has to buy a corresponding license by spending license points earned in combat. These act like skill points and can be allocated by the player manually on the character's license board. Now, I found myself thinking very early on, even when I first played this, some of these references made sense, that even though these games all came out during the five years of development of Final Fantasy XII, these four console video role-playing games are the four that I think feel the most relevant to me. So Final Fantasy XI, obviously, was 2002. Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic was 2003. World of Warcraft was, was 2004. And Monster Hunter, the original, was 2004. Yeah. <laughs> the year was Chrono Trigger. That's the first thing I can think of with enemies on the screen. That was well before. Yeah, well, and yes. Secret of Mana. And... I mean, you're right, obviously. But, I, I, I mean, of but course. These, the, they were less less comparable in the uh, kind of license board and just building your character to your own specifications. But uh, yeah, I, I think that for the Final Fantasy series, characters fighting on the main menu or on the main map, rather, was... A new thing for sure here, uh, but not in all JRPGs, not even just for Square, really. It just took him a long time to break out of just the strict turn-based thing for, for Final Fantasy. I, I, I think this change is possibly my favorite thing about this game, um, at, at least mechanically. Um, yeah. I think it makes the pacing of exp- exploration and and combat so much breezier um and that's even before you add in the kind of uh, speed up time function i just i the ability to just kind of clear out an area and then just freely explore it and if there's like a puzzle or um you know some items you want to pick up you're just free to just go and grab it and yeah some areas repopulate but it's a nice feeling to know that like for a moment at least i've got a breather and i don't have to worry about you know whoosh you're in a fight um like you did with every previous title and um and also just feeling like you know you could just run away and i know you could do that with all the other final fantasies as well but it felt like you were interrupted and then you had to consciously run away whereas with this you could just hold down a trigger and just skip every fight if you wanted to yeah it always always made me really upset that uh in some final fantasy games prior to this you could just fail to run away like you could say run away and then (laughs) it wouldn't happen you could do that pretty much uh, with some exceptions if you're like locked into a, a certain room but yeah you could run away at pretty much any time and while I, I totally agree with what Leon was saying earlier, you kind of lose some of the cinematic flair 
um, with this system, this setup. That is true. But I think the opportunities for like slightly deeper character customization and like a real sense of control over exactly what everyone's doing and like really kind of digging into the depth of the systems that are in place. I feel like you're, you're just more willing to dive into that stuff when you're not having to kind of go through the same fights over and over and over again. There definitely is rep- repetition in this, um, but it, it just the, the, the kind of real time combat, the, um, the, uh, the, the lack of random battles, the lack of interruptions, frankly, um, ease that slightly. And it just, it makes for a much smoother experience. Um, I will say that, um, the PS4 version is significantly easier, as we touched on already. Yeah. Um, uh, the PS2 version is incredibly hard and, and much uh, slower. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And much slower yeah. and requires a great deal of grinding. And I know there are people yeah. out there who prefer that. Yes, I prefer the the changes they've made to the PS4 version. Undoubtedly, here too. Is that what I was wondering? Uh, the, the, that uh, PC version we talked about earlier mentions having NG minus from the start. I wondered if that was is that a return to the balance of the original hardcore version or no, something? No, I think what that is. Um, I think that what uh, New Game Minus is is that the uh, game prevents you from leveling up. So I think that you can still, right. I, I believe that you still get license points. So like you can still do things like that, but you don't ever get levels. Playing the modern version, especially if you are happy to use the times, multi times speed up to four times, you can literally take a quarter of the time to play the game uh, yeah. if you want. Um, but I do think it is kind of a shame and I say this as somebody who definitely prefers a more, you know, I've been crying out for it all along. Like one of my favorite action RPGs is The Last Story, which Square Enix made some years after this, which is has very little need to grind whatsoever. You just uh, and actually it inherits some of the combat of, of this game where the, the, the thing that I haven't enjoyed about any of the Final Fantasies really is the need to grind the repet- the, the repetitiveness of it and, and this exercises that. Um, but the, it also does bring in some balancing problems, I think, and some of our correspondents attest to this, which is that as much as there's this incredibly deep and broad, complex, if you want it to be, gambit and progression system, certainly in the Zodiac Age version and possibly even in the original, you can just get to a point where you make four, three guys who are really good at guys and gals who are really good at just hitting stuff really hard and you don't actually need to engage with the systems to beat the game I, beyond, yeah, beyond hitting things hard. Kind of. Uh, I mean, I, I think that it takes a, a significant amount of time to do that. Um, yes. It, it's not... Yeah. There are still challenges that you can throw yourself up against. Some of those, uh, some of the later marks in in particular are really right. tough. Yeah, um, status and, and changes and all that. Yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, yes, that's it. I am a lot of the Final Fantasy games and just JRPGs in general are like that. If you really want to break the game, you can do that. There are probably combinations of license boards that you can do that are going to be more uh, conducive to that than others. That didn't ruin anything for me. Um, I, I found it to be more of a, um, uh, well, more, just more of a, a good balance towards, I did not think it was too easy, but also I didn't, 
I, I most of the uh, the powering myself up that I did was through side quests and not through what I remember doing in the first game, which was finding a good spot that was near a save crystal, running out, leveling up, and then saving again. Like I, I do remember doing a, a significant amount of that the first time that I played the original version of Final Fantasy XII, and I didn't have to do that in uh, in the the Zodiac Age, which to me was a welcome thing. The difference for for me with the uh, with the speed up time and not just not just to save myself time playing the game because I'm going to spend a lot of time playing video games no matter what just just the traversal between areas it, it was incredibly nice for if you just needed to run back to an area to do a hunt real quick just hit that 4x yeah. and just blaze like that was that's pretty that's pretty nice honestly the the thing that it was the nice for for me was I really explored the gambit system more this time around than I had hadn't before right like and I wrote <laughs> I wrote this down I think like I think the gambit system in Final Fantasy 12 is the original auto chess like it's the original <laughs> I got to a point where I had gambits on all f- all of my main characters that were playing, and yeah. every time I'd go to a new area, the the enemy would have enemies would do different things. You know, they would inflict your party with doom or poison or, or whatever they would mm-hmm. come with. Or, or for example, one of the things that I I realized the first time I got the Osmo and planes was the first time there were flying enemies, and I didn't have any gambit set up at all for flying enemies. So I walked in and my party got wiped just because there was this big pterodactyl thing that none of my people were attacking. Swing and a miss. Exactly. Exactly. I I got to the point where I just, I went back to Rabinaster at that point and I just bought every gambit available to me at the time and I got hyper specific in a new area where I would go in, I'd do a couple laps around, say, okay, what's the elemental effects? And I would go into my gambits and I would just absolutely micromanage every one of those. Like that to me made me enjoy uh, Final Fantasy 12 these these second two times I played through it almost even more because like I could get I wanted to get to a point where I would my gambits would be so finely tuned that I would just all I would need to do was move the analog stick through the area and yeah. everybody would just take care of everything and and I yeah. kind of got to that point so who else actually enjoyed the the checkerboard license board and just simply the act of unlocking things on that with your license points because I certainly found that quite pleasing it was satisfying to me in the same way that the sphere grid was except yep. kind of yeah. more so actually i was gonna say the same thing <laughs> right i i prefer it to the sphere grid just because you've got a lot more choice um i i i like the sphere grid but it, it at a certain point it feels like you're you're kind of on rails like in terms of the character progression yeah and i liked that while you you know you can reveal paths that you can take by selecting certain op- certain options and stuff like that but it didn't feel as um railroady and also you, because you get a preview like you can go over um certain squares and actually read what it is and what it will give you so you can plan your route uh, towards things that you're yeah. you're interested in and and you couple that with the the job system um which you know the two things are very closely linked i i liked you know the zodiac age introduces this this job system um i much prefer it to the the original ps2 at least the version that was released in europe and and the us um, because there's a real sense of creating very individual characters that serve very specific roles the problem with the job system in the original version was that there were certain abilities um, that everyone could get and were really powerful. So you just kind of gave them to everyone right. and everyone started feeling very, very similar. Whereas with this, like you've like, you know, Vaughn was my time mage. Um, you, uh, Ash was my white mage. And then I kind of 
added like a you know a secondary class that just kind of spiced things up a bit there was a real sense of creating characters that that uh, were really unique and you just had a lot of freedom it, within those like limitations it uh, you had a lot of freedom to build exactly the kind of party you wanted to create i think if i remember correctly the way i had it in this playthrough was ash was my white mage but also my bushido and it was something just so refreshing to having like the person that's going to be cured casting Kiraga is also carrying a nine foot katana and just slicing things into oblivion like it was it's a nice way to balance those out because normally you know your white mage has the staff and doesn't do a lot of dps but it was it was a lot of fun to kind of flip those roles on their heads um the only thing i found was that uh it was a shame that i because i ended up i wanted to swap some people in and out so i ended up with uh with two white mages and obviously you know, you, you kind of expand out and one of them learns some black mage stuff and one of them learns some, in my case, green mage stuff. But with there being only six characters, only three of which you can use at any one time. And if, if like Leah, you choose a character who's locked in as kind of there all the time with with all those job options, effectively, you know, every character can have one of 12 twice. You, you end up missing out on a lot of stuff. Like I never really had a powerful black mage at any stage in the game and I didn't need them. And that feels like kind of a pity. The only thing that I would like to have seen added to that system would have been some kind of ability to change your job. Uh, and I, I would have been fine if like there was some kind of penalty to it, like if you lost a certain percentage of your, your job points or if you had to pay for it or something like that. But once you choose your license boards, you are locked into them oh, forever. You, you oh, cannot okay. change them at all. I kind of assumed somewhere there was one of the, you know, it's one of those games where there's a shop you can go and you have to buy a special potion and you can. Unless you know, I am completely missing no, something and I don't I think I am. It. I think Mont Blanc might be able to do something with that, I, but it might just be for your main character. I have to look that up, though. I didn't do it, so I, I right. might just be talking. I, mean, I, I don't think that there were are very many things that I would change, but like there, there are a couple of jobs that I f- I'm finding to be less useful than others. So I probably would have changed one or two of my characters around if I had the option. Getting around the world, so historically, we know going back to Final Fantasy One, you fairly quickly left your first place, town, whatever, settlement, castle, and found yourself out on the open road. In this game, while you get to do a lot of wandering on foot, you don't get access to any uh, vehicles to call your own until quite late in the game. When you do finally get an airship, uh, you really uh, only get to pick from a list at uh, at an airport type place, um, which kind of makes sense. I suppose, but also I quite like that thing of actually flying around a world map. Um, But I can understand why they didn't do it here. There's also fast travel in this game, uh, but there is a currency to it. There's there's a resource which if you go around, if you have a gambit set up on somebody, I had Van as a thief, which made sense again, going around nicking stuff off people automatically. Uh, you should end up with a reasonable amount of teleport stones. Um, but there's there's kind of multiple fast travel systems because there's also there's also uh, warps and teleports in and out of dungeons. There's also the moogling, which is the <laughs> little... Uh, and the moogles in this game are so cute, by the way. <laughs> they just hang around by teleport posts and beam you from place to place, even within a town, uh, which feels less than necessary. And you've got chocobos for hire, which felt about as useful to me as the horses in breath of the wild um <laughs> maybe even less so i don't know 
I think the chocobos are useful for getting like secret items and stuff like that because of the uh, chocobo pass. Yeah. yeah, they can go through a hedge, you which your that. character you can't I can't do it. that. I have a sword; like... I can cut this hedge down. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> yeah. Chocobo footprints. Fran can just burn it. Like, nope, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, uh, ju- ju- just uh, on a side note, I I really like the design of the chocobos in this yeah, game me as too. well. I don't love that they're enemies in some points. Like, I don't like to killing them. Uh, we'll be talking about Mr. Feathers in Final Fantasy XV. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> Mr. Feathers <laughs> is still my best friend. The, the thing that I appreciated, especially coming off of Ten, was just how open and intricate these environments are. We kind of touched on that with um, Rabinasta already, mm. but there was a there was a moment where playing the ps4 version um you go into the kind of the sand sea area and there are these big circular kind of like they they look like oil rigs i don't know what they actually are but they kind of look like oil rigs um and i just i couldn't help but like bring up the map screen and then compare it to like a screenshot of the map in uh final fantasy 10 right and it's like any one of these routes could have like a secret treat or a nice weapon or anything. Yeah. And you compare it to 10 and mm. it's like, okay, the secret item is there. Yes. And there. Just right. And there. Left it's off so obvious. Path, right where, off that yeah, path. Yeah. 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 It's so obvious where mm. everything, sh- you know, is and where the main path is in, ten, in 10's maps. And with 12, there was a genuine sense of actual exploration and and mystery and maybe something and you know sometimes it's literally just you know a big monster and and there isn't a special item but to have that mystery back to have that sense of exploration back was so nice on the flip uh, side of that though if i may say there's I, i i agree for the most part but there's also a lot of going up to pots and finding like 11 gil which is yeah basically a slap in the face at that point you know at least you didn't play the original this is my story it okay. came back i knew it would uh, this at least you didn't play the original version of final fantasy 12 all the way through because in the original version of final fantasy 12 you had four chests in the world that you are not supposed to open they're not marked nothing is different about these chests yes, but if you yeah. open any of them you you uh you you uh, cheat yourself out of getting the best weapon in the game you can only get it if you don't open these four chests oh, what? and as far as i know the only way to not open those four chests like to know which chest which chests those are was to get the strategy guide That's, which i yeah. i did i was going to anyway but like i was working at gamestop uh after this came out and well after actually and uh there was this one person who would come into the store repeatedly and just like flip through the final fantasy 12 guide like they didn't they didn't want to buy it which i mean whatever that's fine this is one thing that i've not really done in any of the final fantasies that i've played up to this point which is gathering every character's ultimate weapon uh, it's a series staple so apart from that completely ridiculous arbitrary and unfair one are they are they quests worth undertaking in this game? Are they fun or are they just pure? You I need don't to remember read a whole lot guide. about the 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 ultimate weapons because they're not, as far as I know, they're not really linked to characters specifically. They'd be linked to the jobs. So that's true. Yeah, I don't I don't recall. I had the same strategy guide that you talked about, Leah. I got it with my <laughs> yep. pre-order bonus. I, I I I had it sitting on my lap as I was playing through the last time, just looking at the different things. I know a lot has changed, especially with mm-hmm. the the zodiac weapon. I mean, everything for for that has changed completely from the four chests. But no, they are just um, 
Like sometimes they're tied to uh, like, you know, a big monster fight or oftentimes a hunt. Uh, a lot of times what they rely on is you holding on to certain items that you've gotten from some of your hunts, like the giant serpent skin. I heard or the, that, yeah. And, and, but there's no, there's no good system in the game that lets you know, like yeah. early on you get that giant serpent skin. It's like, Hey, this is worth 5,000 gil. You might want to sell that to, you know, just get Ooh. the newest set of armor you for the license you unlock. But yeah. And it doesn't tell you to you hold on to it. Apart from teleport stones is junk as far as yes. you're aware. Yeah, exactly. So some things they will put as like key items, and so they right. don't appear in, but yeah. not all of them. So yeah, I think, like, it, the it's cat, not consistent. The cactoid flower, the one you actually need for the story, is a key oh, that item. Quest not is in messed here. up. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Interesting approach to crafting in this game, in inverted commas, in that it's there's no in character or in party crafting as such, but all the crap that you collect skin, you know, skins of monsters, horns, toenails, chippings, bits of hair, (laughs) uh, you basically sell it to, people who even if they claim they've got no money and are out in the middle of nowhere and only selling one type of ammo still have an infinite amount of gill to buy all your rubbish from you um but that then translates into this kind of weird resident evil item box style bizarre situation where uh, rare items or bargain packs of items appear at all your local stores uh, which i you know it's very uh, gameplay convenient but i thought it was kind of fun as well you'd sell a load of rubbish and then it would say new items are available and then you could <laughs> yeah. buy like some potions that it wouldn't quite tell you what they are but it's probably cheaper than buying them individually and etc and so on espers in this game are the summons it's all rather different because of the battle system being different but here you summon them alongside the summoner. You have to give the license for the Esper to a particular person, uh, which, uh, whichever you person you and want. And only one person. Only one person, yes. Uh, and I'm not sure how many there are in total in the game. I'd certainly, I only found one or two of the extra ones. Right. 12 or 13. I found that I, again, maybe this is just the way I played and I'm sure the opportunity is there to use them extensively if you will, but I found that I deployed them sparingly overall. I never, never use them. Yeah, me either. And uh, I, huh. it, it's so weird because, like, we we're coming off of you know ten, where I felt like the summon system was really strong, and it, it kind of almost has a similar approach to it, where you kind of bring them onto the battlefield and everyone else takes a kind of back seat. Yeah, but. For whatever reason, I just never found them as destructive or as effective as my party members. Like once, you know, you're gambit, you know, you're all gambited up and uh, everyone knows what they're doing and they're really efficient. Mm. Like you're annihilating people and the, and the espers, if anything, feel like, you know, they slow things down. Yeah. They can have some, they come pre-equipped with some quite, you know, relatively powerful attacks and some healing stuff normally as well depending on the esper i think so the, there are, but the thing is once you once you bring them into play you've only got them and the character that summoned them but then if the character that summoned them gets hp'd out and if it's not your if you, if you haven't got them set up to be healing themselves which i often didn't because i would have a designated white mage for that job they would often get off quite quickly and that would take us back out of the summon fight the esper portion of of the game and back into the regular stuff so yeah it just didn't seem worth it a lot of the time for the kind of few hundred hit points i could do with my with my one attack 
So uh, to to counterpoint that, if I may, please, what I found to be really useful and, and I only so I'm I'm as I say, I have not finished the uh, the main storyline in this playthrough yet, uh, but I have been picking up the optional espers. Um, so I've got, I don't know, maybe five or six of them at this point. I think everybody has one except for maybe one party member doesn't have one yet. But the only one that I really use uh, is the first one that you get as part of the storyline, uh, which is Belias or Belias or mm-hmm. however you pronounce it. I would say Belias probably. Who is sort of a, an Ifrit-like, uh, fiery uh, summon type dude, and that that is worth mentioning as well. It, that um, the summons in this game are different from almost all of the other Final Fantasy. You usually have like your Shiva and your Ifrit and your Bahamut, and you mm. know that that kind of thing. And none of those are in this game. You see the names pop up in some places. I think mostly as airships, but yeah, um, yeah. not not as actual uh, summons. But uh, they they serve mostly the same purpose. Um, but the thing that I find to be really useful about uh, Belias, who I had um, uh, linked to my my main party member, Ash, uh, is that they are immune to status ailments. So if you can uh. get them, basically what I would do in some of the larger fights, uh, and mostly I did this in like hunts, uh, storyline fights, I didn't find the need to do that too much. But uh, what I would do would be to call out the Esper back off and have them gain the attention of whatever it was that I was fighting and yeah. then come back in once it was, you know, kind of centered on the summon. So I could be attacking it and doing extra damage with my highest level party member while it was just kind of wailing on the summon. And, you know, if he started to get low or if I started to get low on hit points, then he could throw out a heal and it, it right. worked pretty well for the yeah. most part. Sound so not, not quite as useful as maybe in some of the other games, but I, I did use them for, for some yeah. of the, the bigger fights. Perhaps more powerful then, especially once built up and chained, are the quickenings and the concurrences. Ah, uh, yes. So this is uh, the probably, yeah, the most cinematic style of the attacks. This is really where we've lost the sort of cinematic element to an extent although they all they all have like a one super attack that's kind of animated from the espers the individual characters now have these big uh, animated set pieces based on uh what they've learned on their license board so it's job dependent i guess often elemental based attacks or the usual you know the usual elements plus the other sort of statuses you can have in final fantasy but i suppose the the thing here is there's a little cutie element to it in that between each one, you get the chance to charge up another one or set off another one. And the more you do in a row, the more damage it does. And it actually starts, it, you you end up with um, extra attacks, kind of big uh, elemental attacks just because you've chained. I, I never quite, I, I didn't fathom out the actual system, but I knew that if I did this well, if I got several together, um, it would end up in large numbers coming off the enemies. And it was quite spectacular as well. They're incredibly effective, um, especially just kind of to put a capstone on certain boss fights if you're getting low on health, yes. but the, the boss is kind of low as well. You can just trigger this and then usually it will finish them off. Um, the one thing, and it, it it's the one time where I think um, the visuals of the game are a bit of a letdown, um, mm-hmm. is that... I wish these weren't so abstract and weird. Oh, really? Like, yeah, because like I'm I'm thinking about like the equivalents in seven and um, and ten and just like they're fantastical and they're over the top. 
but they're still kind of grounded in that fight I see. and in that environment. And I just didn't like that they kind of just disappeared into this wifty wafty dream world. Yeah. And yeah. and then just like Barsh is like punching the air and then glass shatters and then it's just it's all a bit like dreamlike and weird and it is a bit odd you're right there's some very cool effects though in themselves it is cool it just feels like it belongs in a different game right. if that makes sense it does the, the one that you're talking about if you actually read the description of that it says that he's punching a hole in space time to <laughs> yes, cause damage I was just about to say that i love that <laughs> that's that the, there are definitely jrpgs where i feel like that's appropriate like but like final fantasy 12 does such a great job of kind of establishing this more grounded tone not just not just in terms of the storytelling but like the actual moment-to-moment combat as well like the the way everyone fights it feels a little bit actually more down to earth rather than standing 12 feet away from them for yeah instance. yeah <laughs> to suddenly go all the way to 11 with those special uh your special attacks just feels a little bit odd harking back to dom's beard's post earlier we were talking about the uh, his you know great moment of beating Sid on a on a knife edge you know that one of those moments in games where it's it's really outstanding, um, and obviously particularly Brian and Leah you've played this a lot now and you've um, you know you're getting to the point where you've effectively broken the games back in some ways and that does seem to be a criticism that that comes up with this game um, that it is possible to yeah basically over level over grind and I suppose it always has been thus in some ways but as i say it seems to be that people have a particular beef with the systems in this game taking not only taking control away from the player but also uh, as in by offering the gambit system actually in game control but also setting it up setting the balance up in such a way that even i think on the original harder version you can put yourself in a position where all you need to do is hit things really hard with your sword and that will deal with any situation so i suppose what i'm asking is have you had have you had enough of those moments or do you just do you is that just something you enjoy where you just pre you prepare every fight so well you just feel like you've you've got yourself into a situation where the role that you are playing in this rpg is that you kick everyone's ass and that's fine <laughs> i think i think it goes back and forth i think the hunts like as you get to the mark six mark seven arc you yeah know, like okay. th- those are where the i think the real combat challenge lies or yeah. i would when i was just going back through i was playing a little earlier today just doing some higher level hunts like i i wouldn't do any of those at you know four times the speed with you know my yeah. gambits all on you know you really want to micromanage how everything's going mm-hmm. but i think it's the same for Almost any Final Fantasy, though, because I hey, I take a little issue um, with saying that it takes control out of the player's hands with the Gambit system, because I honestly think, for, for me personally, that I feel like it gave me more control. Yeah, um, sure. To, to where I Matter could really... Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I but but that just but more control maybe just in a way that I personally like more, you know? So mm. it, it's I think it's probably preference based than than anything else. So yeah. but I didn't see it as taking control away cuz mm. I I felt like I had a, a bigger handle on it, but I, I mean, I think it's fair to make those comparisons uh, to say that, you know, maybe you could over level and, and you could just kind of breeze through everything. I think that's true of most Final Fantasy games though because, you yeah. know, I I remember my my first time I completed uh, Final Fantasy 7 after you know spending you know 50 60 hours do, going ever around like I walked in the battle of Sephiroth and it was gonna be this amazing thing and I ran Knights of the <laughs> Round one time and it was over right. so right you know yeah. I think it's probably just kind of a uh, kind of a symptom of how much time you put into it 
is a little unfair to say, you know, that you just that you can just break it, you know, because you, you still have to put in the effort, if that makes sense. Mm. Like you still have to set up those gambits. Yeah. You still have to run around and, and do the leveling if that's what you're doing. Um, I, I tend to take the tactic where I go and do a lot of the, the side hunts and the side stuff. And, you know, yeah, that does leave me generally a little over leveled for some of the main story content. But still, that's because I went and did 30 hours of extra content, you know, to get to that point. And, and it, I don't know, I, I think that if, if what you want is for yourself to not be over leveled and to not have a, a ton of advantages then you you can do that really you you yeah. never actually have to pick a license board if you don't want to yeah. um which i i can't imagine doing that that would be yeah. way too hard for me but um yeah i mean people do that you know that's that's yeah. that's something that is completely it. valid yeah this game probably more than some of the others and i've come unstuck as we know on these shows in the very late stages of both five and ten with boss boss runs that were just beyond my character level this game i know i felt I was never going to get stuck and indeed I killed the final boss on my first attempt uh, which you know for me is pleasurable because it takes a lot of the stress out of it but I can understand if people are looking for the challenge but it's in there because as you say you got these monster hunts and the trial mode as well uh, rather than me keeping keep on trying to play devil's advocate for this let's hear from some uh, correspondents who found that Final Fantasy 12 let them down in this area young Steve from the forum says I feel I broke Interesting takes responsibility in the first line. I feel I broke my experience of Final Fantasy XII. I found an enemy in the first desert area that offered a decent amount of license points, which one it was escapes me, possibly a cactuar. And every time I got a new character, I would return to farm <laughs> farm them out and fill out the license board way before I was meant to, meaning the idea of gunning towards specific licenses for equipment and techniques was stripped out. And a lot of the endpoint techniques I unlocked far too early, making fights trivial. Being overpowered, I also never delved too far into the Gambit system, which I initially saw as lazy. Square want us to program their AI for them now. I usually played by laboriously pausing the game, setting commands, unpausing, rinse, repeat... When I finally did dabble with the system, I'd unlocked so many parameters that it was simply too daunting to utilise properly. Eventually, I decided to simply push through to the end of the game. I had no idea who anyone was, what the stakes were, or why I was fighting a giant metal angel. And then suddenly <laughs> the credits were rolling. The overall experience left a sour taste in my mouth. Part of me has to blame the designers for letting such an oversight exist that you can break their meticulous systems at the first or second area outside of the starting town. I get it, but also you chose to do that. You know, you chose to mm -hmm. bring all of your characters back, and and to and and there's nothing wrong with that. Like I have done that in games, but the one I always go back to is Final Fantasy VIII. Man, you can break the heck out of that game. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, oh, I, yeah. And I usually do, but um, <laughs> I intend to but, yeah. when I finally play it. <laughs> but yeah, it's. I mean, I I, under, I definitely understand the complaint, and I understand how people can come to that uh, to that conclusion. But I I don't know. I just for me, I think it's a it is largely a matter of intent. I suppose you can do it unwittingly is the thing. Uh, I guess. Can, but uh, but young Steve was aware there. Mr. Ixlite also chimes in on this. And so it eventually was that my boring party members fought a boring villain for reasons I didn't care about. I put down the controller <laughs> and took a shower. I returned to find the villain's first phase defeated, nudged the analog stick to advance the plot and proceeded to get dressed and do minor chores. I switched off the gambits exactly once when the mid boss, uh, when the boss, sorry, turned invulnerable and proceeded to run around in circles for a bit. 
eventually the boss lay defeated, unable to cope with my brute force strategy of heal self, attack the same enemy with my sword, the same strategy that had carried me through the rest of the game. No ultimate weapons or summons had been collected, no stats maxed out, levels had barely been ground, and after countless hours of playing I turned off the game with a weary sigh and turned my back on the series as well. Though I thoroughly disliked the game, it is also one of the most important ones I've played. It was an antidote to my rampant completionism, teaching me that I didn't need to consume every product in a franchise and that I didn't need to complete everything I consumed, especially if I didn't like it. Plus, playing Final Fantasy XII introduced me to podcasts to counter the tedium. And for that, I am thankful. <laughs> well, we're thankful too. Um, I, what I would say, Mr. Ixalite, and, and I'm sure you know this, is that turning your back on the series because of one game is uh, doesn't make sense in this case because every Final Fantasy is so different, both in terms of systems and balance and intent and tone and everything to the last. So while I'm not saying you must play Final Fantasy XIII, because I don't think many people would say that and I haven't played it. <laughs> I'd say you could maybe skip to 15. <laughs> I'm saying that your experience with 12 does not necessarily reflect what your experience with its successes will be like. I will say congratulations on overcoming your completionism. It's a thing that I struggle with, too. Yeah, so yeah, For me the too. longest time, I could not stop playing a game once I had started, even if I hated it. And um, I don't do that anymore, but uh, it's still hard. Unless for it's me, for the show. So. Well, yeah, I mean, that's different. <laughs> <laughs> Will, though, counters. Will from the forum says, I remain baffled by people who walked away because of the Gambit system. It seems like the sort of quality of life improvement whose absence is so often lamented by critics of the series. Also, it's entirely optional. So if you want to pause and select each time you attack or heal, you can turn the system off and mash X to your heart's content. At worst, it's neutral, and for me it dramatically reduced the type of tedium that made it hard to revisit some of the earlier titles. Racing down the tracks in Lusu Mines mowing down skeletons was a pleasure I miss every time I return to random battles in earlier games. Trial mode is there in the uh, Zodiac Age version. And according to Polygon, when they were talking about the differences in the versions, it says, if you're a hardcore Final Fantasy fan who's unhappy about Square Enix making the game easier, don't worry, they've got you covered as well with a new option called Trial Mode. Trial Mode is a completely separate menu option from the main game, but players will be able to load in their save to use the party they've leveled up. The goal of Trial Mode will be to fight through 100 battle scenarios, which increase in complexity and difficulty. Uh, is specifically designed so that it's impossible to go through all 100 stages on the same Gambit settings, according to producer. Yeah, I haven't tried that yet, but I'm I'm as I play through, I find myself thinking, what if I just platinumed this game? So maybe I will do trial <laughs> mode. I don't know yet. I have not made that decision, but uh, I'll probably at least give it a shot. Yeah. Uh, so a little trivia from the Final Fantasy wiki. Final Fantasy creator Hironobu Sakaguchi didn't play the game through to completion because he was disappointed by the departure of the original producer and director Yasumi Matsuno. However, he later stated that the target lines used in the game were what inspired the creation of the target lines used in his game, The Last Story. It's kind of a shame we haven't seen The Last Story get ported from the Wii because it's stuck on the Wii, which is a machine that a lot of people don't have hooked up anymore, didn't like having hooked up in the first place. Uh, but it was very cool, and I think it would look nice in HD format. There was a manga, of course, there usually is in Japan. The story of Final Fantasy XII was released in Japan as a manga. It expands on the storyline seen in the game and adds new events and characters. I guess there's no English translation. Not that I know of. You could collect it anyway if you're that kind of crazy fan. It's probably, <laughs> it's probably nice to look at. And probably. Peruse. 
Yeah. All right, we have some three-word reviews from Twitter. Mr. Ixalite says, efficiently automated boredom. Nobuo Yagami says, pretentious city names. Oodles Odim says, systems upon systems. The Teej says, program your party. David Giza, Giza of the Plains, says, <laughs> Star Wars Ivalice. Chris Smith says, East meets West. Ian Mitchell says, go home, Vaughn. Dom's Beard, though, says, I'm Captain Bash. Eric Mickle says, Sid's gone mad. Anarcho Gamer says, fun tactical combat. And Ashton Herman says, favorite Final Fantasy. And so to summarize our feelings on the 12th mainline entry in the Final Fantasy series... I'll go first. I was pretty keen on this one. I enjoyed it very much. It was uh, pretty much a pleasure to play all the way through. A couple of wrong turns took me down some dark paths and frustration. But overall, the game allowed me to customise it as I saw fit. It looked pretty nice. Very easy on the eye for a 13-year-old game, albeit yeah, upscaled and up and polished on my PS4. And yeah, there was uh, a lot of systems within the game that uh, and just the the overall presentation that I really clicked with, uh, the localization seemed so much beyond what we'd seen from Final Fantasy before. Okay, nine and ten were getting there in their own ways in some ways, uh, but obviously we had issues with the voice acting in ten that were uh, possibly rectified here. But I had the Japanese voice on, which you can do in the recent versions, and that's nice too. Yeah, and I just, I, I don't know what to say. It, it didn't blow me away in the sense that, you know, this is now, you know, one of my all-time favourite games, but it was certainly one of the most, uh, the smoothest ride I've had with a Final Fantasy up to this point. Um, I don't think it quite has the same magic as the weirdness of Final Fantasy VII, and I suspect that when I do finally get around to playing six, that will charm the pants off me with its uh, with its legendary story and 16-bit pixel art as well. But yeah, this one's a great time and absolutely now it's available on everything for anyone who wants a, a really nice big adventure to get their teeth into. It's got a real sense of journey to it, which is something I like about a, a, a JRPG in particular and an RPG, This the sense that you're uh, you start somewhere and you end up somewhere else kind of thing uh, albeit actually geographically not very far from where you started in this game but uh, but you go to a lot of places in the meantime have a lot of battles although not as many as in the PS2 version and uh, you get to do a lot of satisfying uh, wrangling commanding of your party macro programming if that's your bag but yeah do be warned that to some people they actually missed the the, the sort of traditional uh, bugbears that some people have with the, the JRPG formula of very rigid uh, battles and certain things like that. So, yeah, it's a recommend from me. I'm curious now to play, having played uh, The Last Story, um, I'm curious to play and also Monster Hunter, other games that it perhaps uh, reminds me of in some ways. I'm, I'm very curious to play 15, which I think kind of in some ways picks off where picks up where this left off. Josh, how about you? Recommend or not? Yeah, um, overall, definitely uh, recommend it. But kind of revisiting this one was was interesting because in some ways it's gone up in my estimations, and in and other ways it's gone down. Mm -hmm. um, before before this recording, I would have said this was easily amongst my favourite JRPGs and and my favourite entries in this series. Um, it's weird because it, it's lost some of its spark for me on this revisit, and it's mainly because of the story stuff. Yeah. Um, I think I just it it 
I notice the flaws a lot more sharply now than I did back in 2006, 2007. Yeah. Um, and possibly, you know, I think some of that is, you know, changing expectations. Um, uh, you know, whatever you think of the state of storytelling in games, I, I think the bar has been raised mm. considerably. While, uh, while you know, the, the, the Final Fantasies of past kind of dealt with big, sweeping kind of, you know, hero's journey type stuff, um, uh, and it wasn't overly complex, I think they're, they're better at handling the the broad strokes of the, those those plots that they were they they were telling whereas this is kind of weirdly like it it, it make it, it kind of makes you expect better with the the finer details with the dialogue and and the story uh, and the uh, and the characterization um but it's missing i think the thing that it's it's missing where you know 7 6 9 those games definitely had it is just a core thesis statement like what what is 12 about thematically mm. is it about you know loss of loss of family or well, it kind of is and then it just kind of drops it is it about empires and political strife yeah, not really <laughs> and it, it it's just missing like seven for all its like silliness and weird localization it is about something six is about something nine is about something and um i felt that that loss of like a strong thematic core with this one but like but it's weird because like literally everything else i love about like i love that uh, i love about this game like i think the combat system sings i think the 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 art direction is just out of this world brilliant like the just it works on a macro and micro level um but like for like like i think storytelling is important for this genre um if we were talking about you know, like Vanquish or or something that, you know, any game like in a shooter or a, or an action game, so, you know, a genre where story is less prevalent. I think I would be I would be more forgiving, but I think with with RPGs, narrative does matter, and I think um, the failings in this department kind of drag it down slightly. It's still a favorite amongst the rest of the series. Um, I think it it's aged better than Final Fantasy X out of the two PS2 entries, mm -hmm. um, and I would still recommend it, but um, it's it's lost a bit of its specialness mm. uh, over time. Fair enough. Leah, do you feel similarly or not? So I think I would actually lean slightly in the other direction. Um, I, I definitely agree that there are flaws that maybe I wouldn't have thought of uh, having not played it in a decade or more. But uh, I, I have found myself enjoying this playthrough a lot more than I kind of thought that I would. I, I always had a pretty positive opinion of Final Fantasy XII, but it wasn't one of the ones that I would have come up with if you'd asked me, you know, to recommend something or what's your favorite Final Fantasy. And I, I still don't necessarily think this is my favorite or, or you know, anything like that. But I, I would say that it's it's gone up in my estimation a little bit uh, just because I, I keep wanting to go back to it. I keep uh, I keep noticing that I'm having 
uh, quite a lot of fun. It, it's very one more hunt ish for me. Like, okay, and and I think this is largely due to the kind of game playing that I tend to do. But like, I will finish a hunt and then go, okay, well now I can go back and turn this in, and then I can go teleport over to this place and start this thing up and ask this person for this, and then I can buy you know upgrades, and then I'll save over here. But what if I just kept going and actually went back to the and and I I find Mm. myself playing in longer stretches than maybe I had intended to from the beginning. So I, yeah, I, I I don't think that my opinions are drastically different from uh, what Josh was saying, but I I do think that in the end, I lean a little bit more towards the other end. Um, I, I actually, due to a combination of circumstances, including I started playing Fire Emblem and now I kind of like strategy games. um, And also I forgot kind of how much I enjoy the whole setting of Ivalice because that's that's another thing is that this game is gorgeous. Um, I just I really do think that it's a good looking uh, from almost beginning to end. Um, But I picked up uh, not only well, I already owned um, Final Fantasy Tactics, which I've tried to get into a couple of times uh, and basically bombed out because I am my brain doesn't work that way i guess i don't know i'm not very good at strategy games but uh i'm trying again with final fantasy tactics it It does and i really like jobs Um, you have to learn how to use items yeah that's true you you very much do um but but not only that i have also picked up uh a copy of the sequel to final fantasy 12 uh there is a direct sequel and it is more of a strategy tactics game from what i understand i haven't started it yet Uh um but it is called final fantasy 12 revenant wings it is a ds game Mm -hmm. and uh from what i understand and again apologies if any of this is not strictly correct but uh as as far as i understand it uh it's mostly centered on balthier um and follows on directly from the events of final fantasy 12 so Mm. um i'm looking forward to it and uh, hopefully it won't be obscenely hard and i can uh i can talk about it later but uh yeah this it's inspired me to continue on with that storyline um just because i really have have been enjoying my Myself. Yeah, the closest we got to a main character death in the game is a kind of fake out yep. towards the end with <laughs> Balthier and Fran, but uh, but they get away with it. And yes, if we ever do, uh, I know we've, we've had a few requests for various spin-off games in the series, and I know that, and <laughs> that Leah wants to do 10-2, but... Being Kane and Rince, we can if we if we do ten two, we have to do all the others as well. So uh, twelve Revenant Wings would be in among that gamut. Uh, not sure whether I'll be there for that series, but uh, you know, I like leaving the show in in your capable hands anyway. So we shall see in the future. After everything that everybody has already said, it's it's difficult to not repeat um, a lot of the same things. I agree with with almost everything that everybody has said before. I, I think that it it holds up well. I, one thing because it is a, it it's not that old of a game, but the the Zodiac Age treatment really does just make it so accessible um, now to to come and play. And and some of the things that the criticisms that were leveled at the game about. Um, about control and about um, you know the time spent and how to manage your party in the battle system, I think are its are its biggest strengths and allows you to play it now in 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 any way that you want to. And I think that, that um, for a Final Fantasy game, especially when directly compared with Final Fantasy X, which uh, it, it, it was such a breath of fresh air for the series at the time, and it still feels that way now, and it allows you to approach it from a lot of different ways and to to have a you know, to, to have a varied play style, depending on what you like to do. And now when I was just thinking and we were talking about you, you said that I had played through the game three times. And I think that now I have I played the game probably for a collective somewhere between 250 and 300 hours. Yeah. 
And right. now I think that, you know, let's say that um, the Zodiac Age went, uh, I have played it on PS4 and I played it on Switch. If it went cheap on sale on Xbox One or was Games with Gold or something, I I have no doubt that I'd uh, download it and probably play through it again. So, yeah. um, so it's an absolute recommend for me. And also has an enemy named a woolly gator, which is just an alligator uh-huh. with fur on it. So yeah. you should probably see that at least once. So play it. We didn't. We, we talked about the art and the graphics being nice. We didn't actually talk about the enemy designs. Um, but yeah, there's some nice ones. It's a gator with fur. It's, it's the most. <laughs> it's the most terrifying thing you can imagine. But it's it a big foot alligator. doesn't actually attack you. That's yeah. I, that's. I always felt really bad about that because like they give you good experience, yeah, but it's not bothering anybody. <laughs> Some of the wildlife, I should say. Yeah, like enemies. some of the bunnies that you can attack and kill. It's like, I, why am I killing this rabbit? We also didn't talk about filling terrible. in your clan notebook, which I found it, uh, it compelling in itself. Just actually, um, you get this. There's a lot of materials with this within this game uh, that is that is just enjoyable to kind of yeah pad out your notebook. It's a it's a bestiary, but it's fancier than that because it's actually got sort of in-depth etymological descri- descriptions of all the enemies and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lovely package. And uh, even if you do pay the full whack for it, whatever that is now, uh, you'll, you'll probably get your money's worth even if you bail out early. So there you go. Right, 12 down in a couple of months. It's 13. Uh, I'm going in with an open mind. I'm trying to uh, as much as anyone can. Uh, but until the next podcast, it remains for me, me, Leon, to thank Brian, Josh and Leah, as well as all our correspondents, editor Ryan, and to you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you appreciate all that we do, the time and effort that goes into Cana Rinse and everything else surrounding it. Subscribe, rate, review. Best of all, give us a dollar, just a dollar a month. It's like 20p a week. Patreon.com slash Cana Rinse. It really helps us keep on doing what we do and you get every single show a week earlier often in extended form this is likely to be a little longer uh, beyond the two hours of the free to all version and an exclusive monthly podcast next time in issue 383 what did take us so long metal gear solid 5 ground zeroes 